Well, this is our 23rd study on faith, uh, based on the teachings of Hebrews 11. We've been kind of camped on verse 32 in chapter 11 for quite some time, not looking at that verse, of course, because we're looking at the writer uh, who mentioned six people, but didn't expand on the story of their lives. He just mentions their names, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And we've been for quite a number of weeks been expanding on their life story. We're currently looking at the life of Samuel. We're going to be back in 1 Samuel chapter 12 today. Uh, So we've been expanding on their life stories currently with Samuel, and then we'll move through the rest of the chapter of Hebrews 11, uh, Lord willing, starting next Sunday. We spent all of this time looking at the lives of these men because we want to understand what would be going through the minds of the original readers of the letter to the Hebrews when they read their names. Uh, We know that first century Hebrews, Jewish people, would be far more familiar with the Old Testament than we tend to be. And so we want to do our best to understand the passage as they would have understood it as much as we are able to do so. And so we have spent uh, many, many weeks sort of expanding on the stories of their lives. And so if you were a first century Jewish person and you were reading through Hebrews 11 or what we call Hebrews 11, and you came to the names of these people, you would be thinking about certain things about them. And that's what we want you to be able to think about as well. Now, I've been hammering away for weeks and weeks and weeks on end at our definition of faith. I'm sure you're getting it memorized by now, so I keep shortening my review. Uh, But uh, Hebrews 11.6, remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And we've been using three words to help us understand the definition. Anybody got them remembered from all these weeks? I keep pounding away at them. There you go. Very good. Confidence, conviction, confirmation. Very good. All right. Remember, faith is confidence in God, accepting what God says even we, when we can't understand it all. Biblical faith is always rooted in the character and in the promises of God. Faith is confidence. Confidence in what God says. Faith is then the conviction to do what God says. Uh, we believe what God says is true, so we are committed to obey God. Our convictions always direct our behavior. That's the way it works in life. We do what we do because of what we believe. Regardless of what it is, we do what we do because of what we believe. We're living the way we're living because of what we believe. Our convictions always drive our behavior. So if we really believe what God says, then we have the conviction to obey what God says. And then faith brings confirmation that as God gives us the assurance that we're on the right track, first through the scripture and eventually through our circumstances, God will confirm to us that we are doing the right thing, even though it may look pretty dark for a while. Sooner or later, God will give us the assurance we need. Well, he'll immediately give us the assurance we need through the word of God. But he will eventually give us the assurance we need, the confirmation we need through our circumstances. So when we talk about biblical faith, it's not abstract, it's not mystical, it it is concrete, it is solid assurance, because its foundation is the Word of God. 
Now we're at the end of our list of our six men from Hebrews 11.32, currently looking at Samuel's life, as I said. Uh, We're going to wind up our thoughts on Samuel this morning. I'm sure you remember that Samuel was the last of the ruling judges, and he also became a nationally known prophet. He was a great man of faith with a tremendous heart for God, and that's what we want to highlight for you today. What was it about Samuel's character that made him such a godly man? What qualities of his character are revealed to us in the Scripture? Of course, when we talk about godliness or being godly, we we mean that this person, hopefully us as well, has qualities that God desires in us. Uh, This is no newsflash to you, or at least it shouldn't be a newsflash to you, uh, that God commands his people to strive to be holy. Remember in 1 Peter 1.16, Peter was quoting several passages in Leviticus. We'll be looking at it here in a little while. But, uh, but he said, be holy, for I am holy. You see, God does not want us to look like the world and talk like the world and act like the world and live like the world. He wants us to have a heart for God. He wants us to have an inner desire to please the Lord. To have such, such a holy reverence for God that we will serve Him in truth with all of our being. Because what is happening in the inner man is going to affect the outer man. Because, as I said a moment ago, we do what we do because of what we believe. So when we have a heart for God and a desire to follow Him in holiness, then it's going to affect our lifestyle and our behavior. How we talk and how we act and how we dress and how we work and how we socialize, etc., etc. So what was it about Samuel's character that reveals his heart for God? And I want to give you five, what I've called today, five expressions of holiness. Five expressions of holiness. What is it? If God says, be holy for I'm holy, what does that actually look like? What is it in our life that that actually uh, people would look at at a person and say, that person is living a God-centered life. They're living a Christ-centered life. They're striving for holiness. They're, they're trying to emulate what God wants us to be. Well, how would that look in our lives? What are the, the expressions of, of, of holiness? And I don't mean necessarily words we would use, but, 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 but the way that we would live that would express holiness. The first one is this. Uh, accountability. Accountability. And we're going to read 1 Samuel 12. I know you got your place there, verses 1 through 5. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Or whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us. You have not taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Samuel was turning over 
the civil duties of governing to Saul. He's going to retain his office as prophet and spiritual leader, but his civil ruling authority as a judge is ending. And so the king and those whom he appoints, well, he's now going to preside over civil affairs, legal matters, applying the law of Moses to various cases that are brought before them. And as he relinquishes his civil duties as a judge, Samuel challenges the people to tell him if he has ever done anything shady. Has he ever taken a bribe? Has he ever coerced anybody to give him something? Has he ever manipulated a circumstance to unfairly oppress someone? Has he ever done any undercover deals? And he says to them, if you can come up with something, I will make it right with you right now. You tell me what I have done to you unfairly, we will correct it on the spot. And if you can't, then we're going to swear before the Lord that I'm clear and I'm above board and I have a clear conscience and you have no evidence of any shady deals that I've ever done. And all of the people agree, yes, Samuel, you have a clean record. We think of accountability. That is, it it is such an important quality for leaders. But it's important for anyone. Ooh. It's important for anyone who has, a di- who has a desire to follow the Lord. I- Everything all right back there? Just got one door, okay. The wind caught the other one, huh? All right. All right, well, I'll let Cody see if he can figure out what's going on there. Back to our thought here. The wind is howling for those who may be listening to this uh, at some future date uh, on a recording. We record the sermons each Sunday, so uh, the wind is howling outside. We're not sure what's happening, but something's banging along outside there. But accountability means that my life is open for inspection. It means that I'm not trying to hide anything. I have no secret life that I'm hiding from my Christian friends or from anybody else. My business life is honorable. My personal life is clean. My family life is respectable. My walk with the Lord is open. My conscience is clear. That's what accountability means. It does not mean that I'm laying claim to being perfect or that I'm laying claim to being sinless. It does, however, mean that I'm striving for holiness, and that I'm willing to accept correction, and that I'm willing to listen to alternative perspectives, that I I recognize my own weaknesses, I'm willing to give an account of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. it. It's the concept of transparency. That we're not trying to hide anything, and it's crucial for for leaders or anyone who wants to live a holy life before the Lord. Openness, transparency, accountability is clearly an expression of a holy life before the Lord because our life is open to God. And we're saying, Lord, my life is open to God for inspection, and my life is open to others, that I'm not doing things that are displeasing to God. And Samuel certainly had that concept of accountability. And as he turns over uh, this leadership position to the king now, he looks at the people and he says, is there anybody out here who has anything that they
they can point to that I have done that has been unfair or, or, or has not been right or has been, uh, I have tried to take anything from you. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be open and accountable to you. Can anybody find anything? I'll make it right today. And they said, no, Samuel, you're clear. So <laughs> accountability, the first expression of, of holiness. The second one is consistency. There's an interesting phrase in these same verses that we just read. It's in verse 2. Samuel says, Here is your king walking before you. I'm old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. Back in chapter 8, the people had come to Samuel complaining that his sons were taking bribes and perverting justice. You may have, uh, we talked about that a week or two ago. Uh, and so his, his, uh, his sons were taking bribes and perverting justice, and they said, Samuel, your sons do not walk in your ways. That, that was part of their motivation in asking for a king. And here we see Samuel presenting the king to the people. It's at the end of the period of the judges. But it's interesting that he mentions his sons as being with the people. My sons are with you. And it leads me to think that Samuel has removed his sons from their positions. He says, here is your king. I am old. My sons are not in leadership positions now. They are with you. And then comes his call for accountability for himself. I've walked before you since my childhood. It's as though Samuel is declaring his consistency in his holiness and saying, I don't even tolerate sin in my own sons. They were taking bribes and perverting justice, so I removed them. Now they are with you, and you have a king. You know, Romans 2, chapter 11 says, There is no partiality with God. Deuteronomy ten seventeen says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. 2 Chronicles 19.7 says, Then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. In Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcomed by Him. You see, consistently applying God's law is an expression of holiness. God's word applies to everyone, and we should be known as consistent followers of the Lord. You know, there's a fascinating story. We won't take the time to read it, but you can look at it sometime in 1 Kings 15, where we read the story of King Asa. And King Asa was a man who was trying to follow the Lord. And, in, and as we read through the story of King Asa there in 1 Kings 15, we see that King Asa's grandmother, his own grandmother, the queen mother as she was called, she built an obscene idol to Asherah, a false god, for the purpose of worship. So Asa went and he tore down his grandmother's idol and burned it, and then he deposed her from being the queen mother. You know, in, in, in order to maintain the, the, the purity of worship in Israel, he, he even tore down his grandmother's idols and he removed her from her position of, of royalty. And I thought, wow. You wonder what Asa told her that day. Sorry, Grandma, you can't build idols in this kingdom. I mean, I don't know what he told her, but he actually removed her from her position as the queen mother, tore down her idol and burned it out in the valley. 
And here we see in this passage, I believe, an indication that Samuel removed his own sons from their positions as judges because of their sinful behavior. And I can't help but believe that Samuel had learned from the heartbreaking example of, of Eli that you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, that open sin cannot be tolerated even if it's in your own family. Remember, that was Samuel's very first prophetic word that he received from God when he was a boy. That God would judge Eli's household because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Samuel had no intention of making the same mistake. God does not show partiality or favoritism because consistency is an expression of, of holiness. Then number three, fearlessness. Verse 6 and 7 says, Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. And then if you look down at verse 12, at the end of the verse it says, You said, No, but a king will reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore here is the king whom you've chosen. And he says in verse 14, If you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the King who reigns over you will continue following the Lord God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. You see, through all those verses, Samuel is standing before the people. He's in the presence of the new king, and he gives them this straightforward message. He basically tells them that they have sinned, but God has given them what they asked for. And now, he says, you better do right with it or the hand of the Lord's going to be against you. Saul is standing right there listening to all of it. The elders of Israel are standing right there listening to the sermon. Samuel preaches the word of the Lord fearlessly, calling out sin and challenging the people to personal holiness. And you know, you see that quality in the lives of all the great men of God in Scripture. Nathan confronted David regarding his sin with Bathsheba. Moses spoke fearlessly to Pharaoh. Elijah spoke fearlessly to Ahab. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spoke fearlessly to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel spoke fearlessly to Darius. John the Baptist preached fearlessly to Herod. And on and on we could go. Psalm 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. And just a few chapters later, here in 1 Samuel 15, when Saul sinned against the Lord, he comes to Samuel and he says, I have sinned, I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. And he says, I did it because I feared the people. And I listened to their voice. You know, in John chapter 12, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 12, verse 42 says, Nevertheless, even many of the rulers believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Psalm 27, 1, the psalmist writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, it says, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that you may boldly say, I will not fear what can man do unto me. 
You see, fearlessness is an expression of holiness because it means that we revere and respect God more than we desire the approval of man because the fear of God brings a snare. And if you and I are operating on the basis of fear, if we're making our choices on the basis of fear, then we will never be all that God wants us to be. Number four, humility. don't have one particular verse to read you regarding this because my thoughts of Samuel's humility come not necessarily from what he said, but from what he didn't say. Remember when the prophets, or when the people first asked for a king, Samuel was upset. God said, they aren't rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. Give them what they want. And from that time on, you never hear Samuel make any self-centered statements about them dumping him for a king. Because it wasn't about Samuel. He was simply the servant of the Lord. And in this entire chapter, in his rebukes, in his challenges, in his encouragement, he always points to God, never to himself. And I suppose we could look at one verse, verse 23, where Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Interesting thoughts. Even though they were going an entirely new direction as a nation, with a new government structure, no more judges after 350 years. Samuel's basically being replaced in his old age. He says he will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for them. That's a great challenge for us. No matter what people do, never stop praying for them. When they serve God, pray for them. When they crash spiritually, pray for them. When they repent, pray for them. When they reject you, pray for them. No matter what, never stop praying. Because humility is an expression of holiness in that it reveals that our focus is not on us. Our focus is on God. And in these last five verses of the chapter, verses 20 to 25, reveal to us our fifth quality, or fifth expression of holiness, a shepherd's heart. Look at verse 20. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And I mentioned to you from time to time, if you're a Bible highlighter or underliner, verse 24 would be a great verse to mark and highlight and remember and memorize. Back in the days when there were Christian bookstores around, uh, the hardly any of those left anymore, but back in the Christian bookstore days, you used to be able to find big plaques with that verse on it that you could mount on your wall. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You know, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible is Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd. 
And you know that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep in John chapter 10. Hebrews 13.20 calls Jesus the great shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25, Peter calls Jesus the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And that kind of imagery is all over the word of God, as I know you're well aware of. But the concept of being a shepherd carries with it the idea of caring for your flock, feeding, guarding, protecting, teaching, guiding, having responsible oversight, because that is the picture of the relationship that God has with his people. And because of that, it's an expression of holiness to have a shepherd's heart. And in these verses that we just read, Samuel's doing several shepherding things. He's confronting sin. He's encouraging them to follow the Lord Lord wholeheartedly. He's reminding them of the emptiness of the things of the world, specifically idolatry. He is assuring them of his prayers. He's making a commitment to teach them the ways of the Lord. He's warning them about the consequences of turning away from God. That's, That's shepherding. That's a reflection of who God is. That's a reflection of God's relationship with us. That's an expression of a godly heart. It's an expression of of holiness. Theologians of past generations used to call holiness the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It's the name by which he's known. They used to say holiness is to be regarded not as a distinct attribute of God, but as the result of all of God's moral perfection all put together. And when they, when they write these things, they are simply recognizing what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 57, verse 15, when he said, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, my name is holy. The angelic seraphim in Isaiah 6 said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Exodus 15, 11, Moses writes, Who is like you, Lord, majestic in holiness? Samuel's mother, Hannah, prayed in 1 Samuel 2, 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. In other words, she's saying, there's nobody else who even exists in God's category. He's in a category all by himself. Psalm 111 says, holy and awesome is his name. You see, holiness is God's moral perfection. It is his sinlessness. As Habakkuk the prophet wrote, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness. Job 34.10 says, Far be it from God to do wickedness, to do wrong. And the way over it, the book of Revelation at the end of the scripture, chapter 15, says, You alone are holy. So when God commands us to be holy, because He is holy, He is challenging us to reflect His holiness in every area of our lives. As the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 16, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And what does that look like in our daily walk with the Lord? Just look at this incredible man, Samuel, and you'll see accountability and consistency, and fearlessness, and humility, and a shepherd's heart. 
No wonder he's listed in Hebrews 11. May God, may God raise up Samuels among us today who will say and challenge people with this great thought in 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. Let's pray. Lord, You know that we struggle with holiness. We love sin. We've got certain things that keep drawing us back again and again. And yet we know, Lord, that by Your grace, we can resist, we can fight back by the strength of God Himself. We can live up to what You called us to do, to be holy because You are holy. We can live a life filled with accountability and consistency and fearlessness and and humility. We can shepherd those around us for the cause of Christ. And we know, Lord, that is a reflection of who You are and what You want us to be. So, Lord, may we fear You, as the Scripture says that we read a moment ago, and serve You in truth with all of our heart, always considering the great things You have done for us. Lord, I pray for our folks today that You take us home with Your blessing and care. We know we have horrendous winds we're battling along with today and blowing snow events. We're grateful to be gathered together here, and we just pray, Father, that you would keep us in your care. And may we serve you in truth with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.